Hello everyone, I'm Jensine Bard, and welcome to Testimony, where truth is told, lives are changed, and hope is given. Revelation 12:11 tells us that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. A testimony of your story for His glory. She's the granddaughter of a former Ku Klux Klan member, was raised in a Christian home by loving parents, and taught to believe that men in the white sheets were just doing their civic duty. Hear the riveting and controversial story from a woman who lived it and would later use the truths she uncovered to be a repairer of the breach between black and white evangelicals, Hispanics, and all ethnic groups in church, government, and the political arena. Her groundbreaking book, Bridging the Racial and Political Divide, will stir you to your core and cause you to pause and perhaps ask yourself, why didn't I know that? Why didn't anyone tell me? Would you please welcome with me today, in part one of this two-part conversation, all the way from San Antonio, Texas, author, speaker, founder and president of Justice at the Gate, and my honored friend, Alice Patterson. Alice, welcome to Testimony. Thank you so much, Jensen. It's great to be with you. First of all, it is an incredible honor to have you with us today. You have done so much. You are so accomplished uh, that my intro just doesn't even touch the service. I just finished reading your amazing book. And Alice, all I can say is, wow, and who knew? Would you please just start to tell us that story? Well, as you said, I, um, I was raised in a Christian home, and my dad's, grandf- my dad's father was a member of the Ku Klux Klan in the early 1920s when they lived in Oklahoma. And they moved to Texas when my dad was six, and he died in 2005 at the age of 87. And uh, I grew up knowing that Papa was a member of the Klan, but I didn't really know what it meant. As you said, I thought it was like a member of the Volunteer Sheriff's Department. And race didn't really surface. It was something I knew, but not something that pricked my heart. In fact, I lived through my teenage years in the 1960s in a little town called Earth, Texas, a population of 1,087 in the panhandle of Texas. And I really wasn't touched by the civil rights struggle or race and it really saddens me to say that, but it's true. I was just in my little white world until I was field director of Texas Christian Coalition beginning in 1991, had been invo- involved in politics in 1984, got involved in, in Eagle Forum as the local president, and voted my values for the first time in the um, election for Ronald Reagan. The second time I voted for Jimmy Carter. I was a lifelong Democrat. My dad was a Democrat. My grandfather was a Democrat. And Texas was a Democratic state. And I didn't even think about anything else except that. But when I went to the Rio Grande Valley for the first time in 1991, which is the border between Texas and Mexico, and 80 to 95% Hispanic, 
I began to ask the Lord to show me how to reach Hispanics because Christian Coalition was basically a white organization, and I knew Hispanics were very pro-life, pro-traditional marriage, hardworking, had a reverence for God even if they're not born again, and they were basically absent in the political arena. And like I said, Christian Coalition was a basically white organization. And I prayed that prayer for three years until I met a man named Jose Gonzalez in Dallas in October 1994, and I asked him how to reach Hispanics. And he starts talking to me about the Alamo. Well, the Alamo is the battle for independence. It's here in San Antonio. I didn't live there then. But um, it's, it's, um, it's something that Texans revere. And he wasn't talking about whether the Alamo was good or bad. He was talking about the perspective of whether you're a Texan or you're a Tejano on the inside fighting for independence or you're a Mexican on the outside uh, trying to preserve your country and you see that land is given away. So how do you look at something like that? So I was thinking in my head, you know, I didn't really ask for a history lesson. I wanted to know how to reach Hispanics. Mm -hmm. But what Jose was saying was, that an entire ethnic group can be wounded and they can pass their pain on from generation to generation. And if someone doesn't deal with it by God's grace, forgiveness, the healing of his spirit, then it can be passed on and nations can be wounded. And when he said that, it was like my grandfather's clan membership just came up to the forefront in my thinking and God crushed me with the racism of my family. Wow. And I, um, I called my boss who lived in the Dallas area. I lived in West Texas, but we were in Dallas, and there were four Christian Coalition ladies with me. And God just, by his grace, we got on our knees in one of the lobbies of the Harvey Hotel and asked God to forgive us for our insensitivity, for our blindness, for racism, conscious, overt racism in my family, my grandfather, and for the unconscious kind that that I had that wasn't touched by the pain of others. Now, was that your idea to do that? What prompted you to do that right there in that hotel? Well, it was just the crushing conviction of the Holy Spirit. Wow. And it just, it really broke me, and it was like in an instant... I remembered, you know, Papa's Klan um, activities were way back in the back of my mind. I didn't even ask questions about it because I, it wasn't it wasn't anything that we talked about. But when the Holy Spirit brought it to my, we started talking about race. It was like, wham! There it was, right in front of me, and like a weight on my chest. So um, when I called my boss over, it was like we had to deal with this. It wasn't just a blind spot in my life. It's really a blind spot in America. We didn't, it, we didn't grow up in a, in a city or a state or a nation that wasn't racist. So now we see it. It's, it was the norm in our society, and we don't recognize it because we're in our little white world. In reading your book, one of the amazing things that I came across was 
how the Ku Klux Klan came into being and the purpose that it came into being. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, this was really shocking to me, and um, and it was discovered when uh, later I had left politics and my we had taken over the Republican Party of Texas, and my closest friend was chairman, and I was doing prayer and reconciliation and prayer with pastors, and but Susan asked me back in to do prayer rallies at, at the Republican Convention, and she was studying about the history of the Republican Party of Texas and found out that the Republican Party was started by 150 blacks and 20 whites, and so she called David Barton and asked him to research this, and when he began to research it, he, covered, he uncovered all kinds of things, like the Ku Klux Klan was started by Democrats to oppose Republicans. Now that's what I found absolutely amazing and why anyone that's listening right now, I would so encourage them to pick up your book, Bridging the Racial and Political Divide. And you know, there were over in the South between 1882 and 1964, there were 4,700 lynchings. And of those 4,700, 3,435 of them were blacks, and they were easier to spot because all the blacks were Republican. And 1,297 white folk were also lynched because they were Republicans. And it really was about stopping Republicans, which is incredible that... To say it this way, the Ku Klux Klan was the terrorist arm of the Democratic Party. And when, uh, after the Civil War, and the Republican Party was started actually with one platform, and that was to free slaves and to make slavery illegal. And Abraham Lincoln was the first president who was ever a Republican. And after the Civil War was over, there were... uh, blacks who were elected to office, all of them Republican, because during the um, the Reconstruction era, if you had fought in the Civil War, you couldn't vote. So that's the reason that blacks were elected. At, like mm-hmm. in Tennessee, I mean in Mississippi, there were over 300,000 registered black voters until after the time of Re- Reconstruction, when the Democrats took back over the um, House, the Senate, and the, and the presidency, then they, um, they struck down all the, the civil rights laws that Republicans had passed during Reconstruction, the right to vote, the right to own property, uh, just every civil right you can name, even more than the 64 and 65 civil rights acts in the, in the 1960s, those were passed during the re- time of Reconstruction. And then when Democrats took over, they started all of the Jim Crow laws in the South, the white-only primaries, the literacy test, the poll tax, to keep blacks from voting. And from Mississippi, they went from 300,000 registered voters down to 5,000. Wow. And it was, a, it was a wholesale movement to stop the civil rights that were won for blacks in the in the the shedding of the blood in our nation, the the Civil War, 
which more men died in the Civil War than in any other war in history. Now, would you say most people today associate the Democratic Party with the freeing of the slaves party? You know, they really associate the Democratic Party with the party of civil rights. And even up until the 1964 and 65 Civil Rights Act, which was passed under President Lyndon Johnson, Johnson could not get the Civil Rights Acts through his democratically controlled Senate, the Judiciary Committee. So he went to Everett Dirksen, a Republican from Illinois, and asked for his help. And not one single, this is so important, not one single Southern Democrat voted in favor of the 1964 and 65 Civil Rights and Voting Rights Act. And there were no Republicans in the South. Every Republican, every um, Southern state was a Democratic-controlled state. Alice, I think this might be a good place to stop. We're out of time. It's a short segment. You have so much to share. We're going to bring you back for part two of your story, and I'd like to pick up where we've left off regarding uh, your phenomenal book, Bridging the Racial Political Divide by Alice Patterson. Ladies and gentlemen, please join us next week for part two of this incredible story. Alice, thank you for being with us today, and we look forward to talking with you next week on Testimony. Thank you so much. God bless. If you would like more information... You can visit our website at jensinebard.com. That's one word, J-E-N-S-I-N-E-B-A-R-D.com. Or write to us at Testimony, P.O. Box 1333, Palm Desert, California, 92261. That's P.O. Box 1333, Palm Desert, California, 92261. I'm Jensine Bard. Please join us again for testimony.